Hello, one and all, and welcome to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show, or this Memorial Day edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you all are having a nice Memorial Day weekend, a nice extended weekend for everybody out there. Hope you're grilling out, playing golf, drinking beer, doing whatever you want to do on Memorial Day. Now, for me, I did stuff the day before Memorial Day. I was out grilling with some friends, played some sand volleyball. Today, nothing. Because I'm actually recording on Memorial Day. It's May 31st right now. It's 10.23 in the morning. And I should have just recorded the show last night because now I really don't want to do it. But you know what? We got to put out a show at some point. And I think today will be an exciting day. It'll be an interesting day nonetheless. Maybe not the greatest show ever, but it should be a nice show. Maybe not that long. We might keep it a little bit short. I'm not expecting to reach the hour mark or expecting to go, uh, go over the hour mark, but we're here and we are live on an actual Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Those are getting recorded, edited, and released on the same day. Exciting stuff. Very, very exciting stuff. But yes, again, hope you all had a very nice Memorial Day weekend or Memorial Weekend an extended weekend, spend time with family, friends, and whatever, and I hope on Saturday you guys enjoyed the Champions League final. Yes, sir, Chelsea was named or was crowned the champions of Europe, beating Manchester City 1-0 with a Kai Havertz goal right before halftime, and this was a situation where I wasn't really cheering for Chelsea by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not a Chelsea fan, I'm a Manchester United fan. I did not really, it would not have affected me if Chelsea won. I was not cheering for Chelsea. I was cheering for Manchester City to lose. It was like that scene, and I think the the Rise of Skywalker, I believe, where they're on the ship, they're leaving, and there's the spy, and he goes, I don't need, I don't care who wins, I just need Kylo Ren to lose. That was a similar situation to what was going on with the Champions League final, at least for me. I don't need Chelsea to win I just need Manchester City to lose. And that is exactly what happened. And a little bit of surprise is before kickoff came, that starting lineups came out. Raheem Sterling was starting for Manchester City in this game, who has been very in and out of the Manchester City starting 11 throughout the season and has had a very up and down season for his pretty high standards that he has set for himself over these past few seasons. Rodri, who was a part of the Premier League team of the season and the uh, FIFA team of the season had a very good year at the number six position with Gundogan and De Bruyne sitting in front of him with Phil Foden playing as that false nine. Now in this game, Bernardo Silva came in and started on the in the central midfield with Gundogan playing as that number six with Phil Foden actually operating as that more attacking option in the number eight position with De Bruyne playing as that false nine position. We've seen Phil Foden play that. Sergio Aguero has been there, but they haven't played a lot. Him and Gabriel Jesus have not played a lot. They've really worked very well with this false nine system with De Bruyne and Phil Foden running in there. Raheem Sterling's played there a little bit. Pretty sure Bernardo Silva's played there a little bit. But all in all, pretty surprising that Rodri did not get a starting berth in this game. He actually didn't even end up playing in the game. We had Fernandinho come into the game with Aguero and Gabriel Jesus coming on towards the end of the game to try and steal, at least get a draw in normal time to go into extra time and hopefully steal the game from Chelsea. Now, fun game to watch. I only watched a half of the game because we had a wedding to go to. So we watched the first half. 
And we saw Kai Havertz sprint through Chelsea's defense with Mason Mount placing a ball perfectly in route to Kai Havertz, who just split Manchester City's defense easily. The best center back duo in the Premier League throughout the season has been John Stones and Ruben Diaz, and they were wider than the Red Sea when Moses parted it. That was basically what it looked like. And Kai Havertz came and took a nice little touch around Ederson and just calmly placed it in the back of the net. Beautiful. Beautiful stuff. So 1-0 victory for Chelsea. Christian Pulisic came on in the game around the 68th minute, I believe. 66th, 68th minute. 66th minute for Timo Werner, who missed a few very interesting chances, which has been a very common theme for Timo Werner since he's come to Chelsea from RB Leipzig. Very snake-bitten player. My friend Noah, who was watching the game with me, said, is there a more snake-bitten player in the world right now than Timo Werner? I said, probably not, but that's the curse of being a Chelsea striker. And their best striker, arguably, now again, arguably, you could make an argument that Tammy Abraham is the best striker at Chelsea, didn't even suit up for the game. Manager Thomas Tuchel proceeded to bring Willie Caballero and Kepa Rizabalaga to the game. Two goalkeepers in this game. For reasons I was kind of confused, but he obviously does not rate Tammy Abraham, so I'm interested to see where he will go this summer because I don't think he's in Thomas Tuchel's plans anytime soon. At least that's what I can tell from this point in the season. He does not rate him. This is not Frank Lampard. He's not going to play the Chelsea youngsters. Now, Mason Mount has staked his claim in the starting lineup. He is one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. At first, when Frank Lampard was there, it was like, oh, he's just a teacher's pet. Same thing with Gareth Southgate with the England squad. Oh, the only reason Mason Mount is playing is because, oh, he's a suck-up to these guys. Oh, he's a teacher's pet. And then now as we've moved along, no. Mason Mount is just a very, very good player. And I fully expect him to be in England's starting lineup come Euro 2020. Yes, Euro 2020. I said that correctly. They are not calling it Euro 2021 because it was supposed to get played last year when Euro 2020 was supposed to take place. But, you know, COVID kind of screwed everything up. So now they just moved it to this year. It's like the Olympics. The Olympics are doing the exact same thing. 2020 Olympics in 2021. But yes, England with Mason Mount and a few others. Reese James had himself a very, very nice game for him and the England squad. Ben Chilwell played the full 90 minutes in this game, but he's not going to be the starting left back for England. One would assume with Luke Shaw playing as good as he has this year for Manchester United, getting named Players Player of the Season. But yeah, Mason Mount, baller. Conte was named UCL Man of the Match in this game. Reese James had himself a very impressive game, as I just said. Kai Havertz obviously got the goal, so he's going to get some talking about with the player of the game. But all in all, even though it was only 1-0, which is not, when you look at the face of it, it's not a very exciting game. It's like, oh, there wasn't that much, there wasn't that many goals. But there were chances for both teams. Chelsea played great defense. Antonio Rudiger stopped a very nice chance. Last ditch tackle. I think it was a Raheem Sterling shot. It was either Sterling or Foden. I can't remember exactly. But dove right. It would have been a sure goal. Sure goal. And the German stuck his leg out, slammed the ball into the ground, and popped straight up for Edward Mendy to catch it fairly easily. But yeah, fun game to watch, at least for the half that I watched. Second half, obviously, nothing happened. No goals were scored. Kevin De Bruyne was sent off through injury. Wasn't red carded or anything, but he went off the game through injury. Haven't heard the extent of the injury. And other Manchester City players in this game, Sergio Aguero, this was his last Manchester City game. 
And obviously that big quote that he had a few years ago that I will not leave until he win the Champions League. <sighs> well, now he's gone. He's officially signed for Barcelona. He signed for Barcelona this morning. At least that's when they announced the deal. He could have signed a few weeks ago. But they announced the deal today. Genie Wijnaldum from Liverpool is expected to make a move there. Eric Garcia, another Manchester City player, is expected to make the move to, Man uh, to Barcelona. And then Memphis Depay, former Manchester United player, is expected to make the move sometime in the near future. Like, we already know Genie Wijnaldum and Eric Garcia are going to Barcelona. Memphis Depay has options a little bit. It's all based, from what I can tell, it's surrounding whether or not Ronald Koeman's going to be the manager at Barcelona next season or not. And his future looks very, very up in the air. Memphis Depay has also been linked with AC Milan. So, who knows where Memphis Depay goes. But ever since leaving Manchester United, he has been one of the best strikers in the world. He's been playing in that more of a center-forward, false nine situation. He's not a natural striker. But he's been playing there for Lyon, and he has been balling out. He's been their club captain for the past two seasons and has looked great. I would love him to return to Old Trafford at some point, but if he wants to go to Barcelona, if he feels that's the best fit for him, they're going to have a lot of players that play very similar positions, and someone's going to get shunted out of position. You saw that with Antoine Griezmann. Never understood why he went to Barcelona. He plays the exact same positions as Lionel Messi who is club captain, the greatest player of all time. So you're not going to get a lot of playing time in your natural position if you're Antoine Griezmann, who has been playing as a left winger for a lot of his time at Barcelona, and sparingly at striker, which is more of his natural position, as opposed to left winger, which is where he played with Real Sociedad. But ever since he went to Atletico Madrid, uh, Simeone transitioned him into a striker playing in a 4-4-2 formation. And in France... He plays as a number 10, sitting behind usually Olivier Giroud. But with these Euros coming up, we're expecting him to be sitting behind Kareem Benzema, who's been put back in the squad for the first time in years. Who is, I think we can all agree, even though a lot of people really like Olivier Giroud, we all know that Kareem Benzema is a better striker. Even though Olivier Giroud does have a better goals-to-game ratio than Kareem Benzema, when you look at what they've done at club level, Kareem Benzema is one of the most underrated strikers in the world and one of the greatest Real Madrid players of all time. Regardless of what you really think of him, that's the facts. Giroud has been mostly a backup option ever since he left, who was it? Um, he didn't leave Marseille. Who did he Mont Montpellier. When he went to left Montpellier from Barcelona, for Bar eh, geez, Arsenal, and then Chelsea, now he's been kind of a backup option there. And didn't even get in the field for the Champions League final. We saw Pulisic, Andreas Christensen, who came on for Thiago Silva through injury, and Kovacic. So, I don't know. I'm fully expecting Kareem Benzema to start there. But Antoine Griezmann, I don't know. I was really confused when he signed for Barcelona. Manchester United were heavily linked with him. He's had a great friendship with Paul Pogba. David Beckham's his favorite player of all time. The number 7 jersey was available. They needed a number 10. And now Bruno Fernandez is there. Antoine Griezmann has is below Bruno Fernandez in player pecking order in regards to the best players in the world, in my humble opinion. I would rank Bruno Fernandez above Antoine Griezmann, as I would hope most people listening to the show would rank them. Even though I love Antoine Griezmann, and I think he will have a very nice Euros because he's, Euro, he's France's talisman, at least he was 
at the 2018 World Cup, even though he's not the best player on the team anymore, with that obviously going to Kylian Mbappe. But, yeah, I'm excited. We'll have a full Euro 2020 preview come Friday because that'll be a week until the Euros start. June 12th, June 12th is when the Euros officially kick off. And I'm very excited to see what goes on in there. Sweden is in a group with Spain, so that'll be very interesting. If you're judging anything off Spain in the 2018 World Cup and Sweden's 2018 World Cup, I like Sweden's chances. And if you look at Spain's squad, it's a very weird squad with no Real Madrid player. Sergio Ramos, the captain, the most capped player in Spain's history, is not on the team. There's just some really interesting players in the squad. We'll talk about that a little bit more on Friday when we do the full-blown preview. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited for the Euro. Sweden is who I'll be pulling for. Obviously, I'll be pulling for England as well as I'm a fan of the Premier League and fan of Manchester United, and I have English heritage, even though I identify more with my Swedish heritage. If you've known me for however long, you would know that I am very proud of my Swedish heritage. We got a Swedish flag in my room. I've had that since I was a freshman in college. I have. I just got Sweden's 2020 Euro jersey or Euro 2020 jersey, so I'll be rocking that for the Euros. We got the World Cup jersey last year. I got a World Cup scarf. We are ready to go for the Euros. I, if I had to make a prediction right now, I'd say Sweden probably comes second right behind Spain in the group. I think they have Poland in the group as well, but I think, like, obviously, with Robert Lewandowski, one of the best strikers, if not the best striker in the world at this point in time, Ballon d'Or winner from last season, regardless if he actually got handed the award, he was going to win the award. They have struggled at tournaments. Over the past few tournaments they've gone to, they have not performed very well. Even with Robert Lewandowski there. It was kind of like Zlatan was Sweden. The last tournament Zlatan was in, he would have been in this one if he weren't got if he didn't get hurt. But in the last tournament he was in, Euro 2016, Sweden scored one goal the entire tournament, and that one goal was a Kieran Clark own goal against Ireland. So it wasn't even like Sweden scored the goal. It got scored for them. <laughs> it was they the defense played fine in a tough group, a fairly tough group, but did not look great. And then without Zlatan, without a recognized world star on the team for Sweden, they went all the way to the quarterfinals of the World Cup, losing to England. They won the group. (laughs) There was an awesome World Cup for Sweden, and man, hoping the Euros can be the exact same thing. But we are not here to just talk about the world of soccer, even though it's been a very exciting time in the world of soccer, and it's going to get even more exciting as the transfer windows start to open. We see some big money transfers like Jay and Sancho. Where will he go? Harry Kane, where will he go? Make predictions. Sancho to Man United, Kane to City. That's where that's the predictions right now. It's not really out there predictions, but yeah, we're getting some exciting times. The transfers, the Euros, Champions League finals just Saturday. So yeah, I really love transfer windows. Now, it's obviously not the same as games or watching games, but it's exciting time. And you still got the MLS going off. Sporting Kansas City just beat the Houston Dynamo 3-1 on Saturday, so very impressive stuff from them. Love it. We're getting some exciting time. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm able to go to a Sporting Kansas City game. They are full capacity again, which is very exciting to hear. And yeah, I'm I'm going to a Sporting game this year. I don't know when, but I am planning on going to a Sporting Kansas City game this year, and I'm expecting them to win. They, I am 1-1 one one 
in my history of going to Sporting Kansas City games. They beat the Seattle Sounders 3-0. And then they lost to FC Dallas. I think it was 3-2. But yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Oh, man. And speaking of getting there, we are not that close to the 2021 college football season, but we are in the same year, so it counts, and we get closer and closer every day. May 31st, oh man, season starts in what? Late August, early September, maybe early September, I think, but very exciting times. And there was an article on ESPN, or not an article, it was more of a video, I haven't watched it yet, but it was expectations for Bryce Young, who is the mo- the talented quarterback at Alabama, the decommit from USC, the recommit to Alabama. He's taking over from Matt Jones, which is pretty big shoes to fill after he just led the nation in passing yards, got drafted 15th overall, won a national championship, finished third in the Heisman Trophy race. There's some big shoes to fill for Bryce Young, but I'm fully expecting him to have a fantastic season for the Alabama Crimson Tide. They lost, obviously, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, Jalen Waddell, But here's the thing, with these big-time programs like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, these types of teams, when you lose a five-star, you got a five-star waiting in the wings. Just because we don't have Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell or Najee Harris, there is good players waiting to get a playing time. Like, Najee Harris wasn't the starter when he first came to Alabama. That was Bo Scarborough. Najee Harris waited and then became one of the, if not the best running back in college football and a first-round draft pick and became a better receiver as his time at Alabama progressed after watching the likes of, like, Damien Harris. You get guys like that coming through the system, and I don't think there'll be a huge drop-off, at least I hope not, after watching what I've seen. Seeing what I've seen of Bryce Young, I'm not expecting there to be a giant drop-off in talent or production from the Alabama offense. I'm still expecting Alabama's offense to be as good as ever because, again, there's a shitload of five stars on Alabama. Five and four stars that some teams could only dream of. So I'm expecting good things from Bryce Young this year. You got Brian Robinson Jr. will be the main back, one would suggest, or one would guess. He got 91 carries last year, 483 rushing yards. Senior, 228. 6'1", 228 pounds, bigger back, not as like tall as Najee Harris, but he's a bigger dude. But yeah, you'll have him coming in, John Mick, John Mechie the third. He finished the season last year third, second on the team in receiving yards, which was kind of a de facto stat because of the fact that Jalen Waddell played five games, really, six games, but since he came back from his ankle injury against Tennessee, or four, he played four games because the Tennessee game was the week five game. He got hurt on the first kickoff of the game. But one guy that's kind of stolen the show a little bit, I hope I pronounce his name right. Ajie Hall, I think that's how you pronounce his name, freshman wide receiver from Bloomingdale. That was his high school down in Valrico, Florida. Had a very successful senior or senior bowl spring game. So he could be a very another big name prospect coming through. Six foot three, one ninety-five, slim, much like the Slim Reaper that just left, Devontae Smith. Oh, man. Again, yeah, it's Alabama. Expectations for Bryce Young, they win the SEC. That's, I mean, that's normal expectations for an Alabama quarterback. You are expected to win the SEC. Like, imagine going to those schools as a fan. Like, you're upset if you don't go to the college football playoff. 
most teams are excited if they even get a sniff of the college football playoff. But we all know that no matter what happens, the college football playoff is going to be Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. No order in particular, but we all know that is what's going to happen because that's what's happened over the past, feels like, years. Like the BCS champion, the Bowl Championship Series, the BCS Bowls, they had their issues. Okay, it's not, it wasn't perfect, but this is just annoying now. We get the same exact teams every single year, and we'll get the odd team like a Washington spree goes in there, and Oregon will creep into there. But 90% of the time, you are getting these same four teams, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State, and I don't think that will change this year because they're all going to be very, very talented teams. Ohio State does not have Justin Fields, but C.J. Stroud's going to come in, and he has two very, very good receivers, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Like, it's, they're just going to be the same teams. Clemson's losing Trevor Lawrence. DJ Ugalele comes in, one of the most talented quarterbacks in college football. You saw him play against Notre Dame. Played well for a freshman at Notre Dame. And you got Justin Ross coming back from neck injury. And I don't, I don't think Justin Ross... I know there's a lot of people, at least I've seen on Twitter, I shouldn't say a lot of people, are underrating Justin Ross because of his neck injury. But he should be back. He should be fully healthy by the time this season rolls around. And then Oklahoma is the only team out of all those teams that still has their quarterback, and he's only a sophomore. Or is he a... Was he a true sophomore last year and a junior this year? He's a redshirt sophomore or a junior this year. I don't remember exactly which one, but Spencer Rattler, one of the best or one of the most talented quarterbacks in college football. As we've talked about the past few weeks, he's very inconsistent, but the talent is there. Arm talent's there, athletic ability's there, but his size and inconsistencies in the passing game will probably hurt him at this point in time. That We are sitting here at May 31st, so... We've got a long ways away until we get to the 2022 NFL Draft, and then we'll start to see the likes of Rattler or Howell or Malik Willis or Keaton Slovis or Desmond Ritter start to separate themselves from the rest of the competition. Now, I've been very adamant at this point in time that it is between Sam Howell and Spencer Spencer Rattler for that top quarterback spot. If you're going off Probably potential, you would probably go with Spencer Rattler. If you're going about what you're going to get, if if you're looking at what you're going to get, who's the most consistent quarterback out of these guys, it's Sam Howell, no question about it. He has been the most consistent quarterback ever since he started his first game at North Carolina as a true freshman. And now he has kept that same thing as he's progressed at UNC. Where if you look at the other big name quarterbacks in college football, they have all battled inconsistencies at one point or another, or just haven't played enough in the case of like Malik Willis. But even Keaton Slovis, he is a very well, he's a very talented quarterback, very accurate quarterback, not the most mobile, but very accurate, very similar to that of Mac Jones, like we talked about when I first released my top 10 quarterbacks for the 2022 NFL draft. But had some arm issues last year. Had good stats, but there were times where it's like, he's just throwing a crap ton of passes. And he had some inconsistency. You saw that against Arizona State in the first game of the season. Or Arizona. It was one of the Arizona team's first game of the season. He did not look great. It's because I guess he had some arm issue. Arm issues. Which is why in my rankings, even though I think Keaton Slovis is a very, very good quarterback, 
that I put Malik Willis at number three above Keaton Slovis because I think Malik Willis can do a little bit more with his feet, that's obvious, and has a stronger arm than Slovis. He's not as accurate, and he's not playing the same level of competition, but I think he's more talented at this point in time. He just needs to play a little bit more. He'll be more on the national spotlight this year as, you know, I'm excited to see what Liberty can do. I'm expecting them to have a very good season again because they're an independent school and they don't play the biggest schools in college football. They don't play the toughest of competition, but that's one of the curses of being an independent school. Like, if you look at Liberty's schedule this year, they play Campbell, Troy, Old Dominion, Syracuse, UAB, Middle Tennessee State, Louisiana Monroe, North Texas, UMass, Ole Miss, Louisiana, and Army. Now, the games against Army, Ole Miss, and Syracuse should be a little tougher games. I think they should fully beat Syracuse. That's a night game at Syracuse. Beat them last year. I think they should expect to beat them again. But yeah, they should have another season where they look good. They should have another season like that. Their one game they lost last year was a one-point game to NC State, 15-14. This year, uh, at Ole Miss will be tough. They're playing Army at home, which could be very nice. I don't know how many fans Liberty gets at their stadium, but playing at home against a team like Army, who is a fairly good, a fairly good opponent with an offense that you will not see very often, the triple option offense, which is why you have games against Oklahoma and Michigan, where they're kind of surprised you because they're not used to playing the triple option offense. Now, last year, Army finished 9-3, and lost of West Virginia in the Liberty Bowl, and now they play Liberty the last game of the season. Oh, man. Yes, sir. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Triple option's a bitch at times. Man, I played that at William Penn. We ran the triple option. William Penn still runs the triple option. And when you look at these teams... Like I've, I've tried to explain this to people before. Like, why is Michigan and Oklahoma struggling against Army, who runs the, the triple option better than anybody in college football at this point in time? For years, it was Navy. Now it's Army. Navy's kind of on a little downturn. They have good years every once in a while, but then they have a little bad year. Army has been more consistent over the past, like, five or six years, but they were awful growing up. They were miserable growing up. But... When you have these triple option schools go up against these Oklahomas and Michigans, they don't know how to run it during scout team. You're not having quarterbacks and fullbacks that can run like the players at Army. You don't have offensive linemen that can cut like Army's offensive linemen. You don't know how to properly duplicate the speed or replicate the speed that Army is going to have playing against these teams. It's hard to do that. So like when we played option schools at William Penn, we knew how to do that because we were basically running our offenses. But Michigan doesn't really have quarterbacks that can move like Army. They don't have fullbacks. Rarely teams that run the spread nowadays, or just teams in general, don't have fullbacks. They don't know how to do the motions properly. They don't know how to run the speeds options properly or do the fakes properly or know what to read properly because you're running a spread offense. You're not running an, a run-first offense like Army and as consistency as consistent and as dominant as Army's run offense can be, which is why you will get games like the Oklahoma game where they went to tri what, triple overtime when Kyler Murray won the he or got the Heisman Trophy. Or, no, Kyler Murray played that game. It was when Baker Mayfield 
got his Heisman Trophy or had it at the stadium or whatever. And then Michigan, struggling against Army. But yeah, Army, do they have any big-time opponents this season that they'll have to, that will struggle against them? No. We don't have an Oklahoma or Michigan. Their their biggest conference team is Wisconsin, I guess, but they struggled at times last year. Will Graham Mertz be as good as he was that first game of the season last year for Wisconsin? I don't know. Time will tell. But Wisconsin, they might have some problems with Army. Might have some problems. I don't know if they can move. They run the ball extremely well and have done so for years. You look at how good their running backs have been over the past 10 or 12 years with Melvin Gordon, Monty Ball, P.J. Hill, uh, James White. You've got some very, very good running backs coming through Wisconsin. So they can run the ball. We know that. But can their quarterbacks or their wide receiver, whoever they have running the offense for the scout team that week, will they be able to replicate it good enough to where it shouldn't affect Wisconsin at all? Because that offense will tire a defense out. It will. It will tire them out. Now, Wisconsin kind of has a little bye week. They play at Illinois, but Brett Bielema might have the boys ready for that game, but I, I doubt it. But yeah, that's the expectations when you play Army. You got to be properly conditioned. You can't have your backup quarterbacks run the triple option offense because they're not going to do as good as Army's offense. Well, that's Every offense is not going to be as good. A scout offense is not going to be as good as the offense they're scouting for. Obviously. Obviously. But just run it a little more accurately, I guess you could say. I don't know. It's a lot different than going up against a spread offense like the Ole Misses of the world or the Mississippi States now, the Oklahomas. You're not going to have that because there's about two or three teams or four teams that really run the option extremely well. And they're all in their military schools. All of them. Army, Navy, uh, Air Force, and Georgia Tech used to run it. Now they run kind of a spread, kind of an option hybrid offense. It's weird. They had a giant cheer at their spring game when they were going under center and then dropped back in the shotgun offense. The crowd cheered at their spring game, and then they proceeded to not have a good season. <laughs> they just threw away the things that have been working for all these years. And now they're just throwing it away, and then the team, the crowd's cheering, and then you go back to complete garbage. Man. Man, oh man, oh man. But yeah, I think that's all I'm going to do for today's show, just to keep it on the little shorter side today, half hour. I don't think that's a little, that's nothing too bad. Shorter show gets you guys listening and enjoy your Memorial Day weekend as a lot, or Memorial Day, I guess. Hope you're enjoying it. Hope you listen to Logan Blackman on your Memorial Day. And I will see you all on Wednesday. Peace.